and welcome. Good evening. It's good to uh, be together. It's good to gather uh, in God's presence, called by God to come and to worship. And uh, I remind you that we gather here in person, but we also gather with brothers and sisters who are worshiping online. And so we're thankful that the Spirit unites us, uh, even in this time where we're not all in the same spot. As a reminder to myself and to all of you, it's God that calls us to come and worship. It's the one who has reached into our life and into our schedules, into our routines to bring us here, to remind us that we're his people and that we are called to worship the one who's created us and redeemed us in Christ. And uh, a couple of announcements as we begin. Uh, One is that there are still um, our October mission class. It's a Wednesday night class at 730. It's in person at the community space or online through Zoom. And Adonijah Tianu and Taylor Worley are teaching on global theology, kind of looking how God's church is not just here in Chicago or in the U.S., but all over the world, and that's part of God's vision and plan. And so if you're interested, the link is in the uh, weekly email, uh, or you can go in person to the community space for that class for the next two Wednesdays. Also, if you would like to give to the work of the church, there is an offering plate in the back of the sanctuary or you can uh, give online. And the last thing to highlight is that there is a congregational meeting on Tuesday, this Tuesday night, 7.30. And so their information is in the uh, weekly email. You can follow the link there. It's a Zoom meeting. Uh, But if you have questions, let me know. But it's at 7.30. The last thing to remind us is that there is children's worship uh, during the service uh, this evening. And so uh, later in the service, I'll dismiss the kids. Uh, They can go downstairs. There's a doorway in the back here and uh, Miss Melinda would be waiting downstairs, uh, and that class will go to the end of the service. I think that's everything. (laughs) Well, God calls us to come and to be present here uh, in his midst, to be ministered to by him and his spirit. And so let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. together for our call to worship, which is from Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not over the one who prospers from carrying out his evil plans. The steps of humankind are established by the Lord when they delight in the way of the Lord. Though they fall, they shall not be cast headlong the Lord upholds their hand.
Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them because they take refuge in Him. before God in prayer. And as I mentioned in the beginning, God is the one who has called us to come and to be here tonight, to be present. So we're going to take a moment for personal prayer. I invite you to take a moment to reflect on God's call in your life and to reflect on how you might feel or how you arrive in this moment. And then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our creator and that you are also the one who recreates us, who's redeemed us in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the wonder that you are not only high and above all things, but you are our personal God who reaches into our lives. And even this evening, that you are the one who has called us in our worries and anxiety, you call to us. In our hopes and thoughts about the future, you call to us. Lord, in our fears. Lord, in our courage. Lord, in our faith and in our doubts. Lord, you meet us there and call us to come into your presence. That we may be reminded again of who you are and what it means to belong to you. Lord, we think of the Psalms that speak of a dry and weary land. Lord, we, we know what that is, and we know what it is to long and to thirst for you. That we ask that you would meet us in our weariness and in our fears and worries. Lord, we also think of the psalm who cries out, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we, Lord, that you see us and know us? And so, Lord, let us feel the wonder of that even in the midst of our uncertainties. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that knows all of us and everything about us. You see our brokenness, that yet you move towards us to bring new life. And so we, we pray that wherever we would be tonight, that we would experience that by your spirit, this lifting of our heads, the casting off of our shame and our guilt, that we might find rest in you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When God calls us in his presence, it's right for us to acknowledge that God is different from us. And so we have a time of confession where we can confess our sins knowing that God's grace in Christ is greater than our sins. So let's do this together corporately, and then we'll have a time of personal silent confession. I invite you to join in our responsive confession. Holy and merciful God, you have promised us peace and rest in Christ, but we often experience doubt exhaustion, and fear instead. Help us now to acknowledge our sins to you and help us to trust that you hear us, forgive us, and love us. 
When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Your hand was heavy upon me day and night. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you forgave all my iniquity. Let's take a moment of silent personal confession. Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we pray, and we thank you for the good news of Christ, that your grace is greater than our sin. We thank you that this good news does not rest on our faithfulness, our past good works, or our promises about the future. Lord, it rests in Christ and he alone, and so we give you thanks, and in him we have hope. Amen. I invite you to stand with me that we can say together these words of assurance. They're from Psalm 118. Let's join together. Out of my distress, I called the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, uh, children are dismissed for children's worship. The door in the back of the sanctuary where Melinda's standing, she'll meet them and take them downstairs to the basement. As I mentioned, that class will go to the end of the service. The New Testament lesson is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayer, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm thankful for a chance to worship with you and to look at God's Word uh, together. And we're going to continue looking at passages from the book of Isaiah, as we've been doing this fall. And we're going to look today at the second half of chapter 40. Uh, But I want to start by thinking about uh, an image. Uh, I've mentioned this artist before, but Scott Erickson, um, someone Taylor Worley introduced me to, but he's what we can maybe describe as a liturgical artist. And there's an image that he put out recently on uh, his social media that I saw. I wanted to use that image to help us maybe think about our passage tonight. The image that this artist created was a a white background with a black circle. A white background with a white, I mean with a black circle. And in the center of this black circle was an extinguished candle. A candle that had no longer a flame. Maybe you can imagine this kind of graphic art where there's a little bit of smoke coming up from the wick. Around this black circle and around this extinguished candle was a group of lit candles, 12 candles in all, offering their flame to the candle that no longer had one. And under the image of this candle were these words, may I be gifted with loved ones who remember who I am when I forget because I will forget. May I be gifted with loved ones who remember when I forget. And our passage today 
offers us this possibility of remembering in the midst of weariness and difficulty. It offers a flame to candles that have been snuffed out or extinguished. May I be gifted with those who remember and remind me of God when I forget. Chapter 40 is a significant chapter in Isaiah. Isaiah has two parts. I mentioned this last week. It has two parts. And chapter 40 is significant because it's the beginning of the second part. A century after superpower Assyria failed to take Jerusalem, the superpower that took Assyria's place, Babylon, succeeded. They captured Jerusalem. They took the leaders and many people out into exile. And in 586 BC, the city fell and the temple was destroyed. This defeat and exile happened between chapters 39 and 40 in Isaiah. And while Isaiah doesn't spell out the details, the trauma of this event is the context for chapter 40 and really the rest of the book. It's important that we know that something devastating has happened, a loss of safety, of home, of land, of temple, leading to all sorts of questions. The candle had been extinguished. And in God's love, he sends a prophet to remind them, to remind them of who they are and who God is. Last week, we heard the first part of that reminder where God cried out, comfort, comfort my people. Your God is with you. Behold, your God is coming. He's coming with saving power, but also tenderness and care. It was a way to remind the people that God had not forgotten them and that their sin and the mistreatment by others was not the end of their relationship with God or the end of their own story. And today, in the second part of chapter 40, we are continued to hear this words of comfort and remembering. We're called to remember God's greatness. We're called to avoid trusting false hopes. And we're invited as weary people to trust the promise that God remembers and cares for those who fall and who are exhausted. So let's look at our passage. This is chapter 40. We're going to read a collection of verses so that we can get a sense of the passage. But we're going to start in chapter, verse 12 and then finish in verse 31. You can follow on your order of worship or listen, just listen as I read. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. 
He seeks out a skill for craftsmen to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And we, we do long for your spirit to be with us, to strengthen us. That you would, again, light a fire within us. Lord, we pray that your word would speak what is true to us, that we would follow in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned in the introduction, there's three parts in the uh, sermon, and we'll meet our way through the passage. First, we'll look at how God invites us to remember his greatness, and then calls us to say no to false hopes or false gods, and then finally, that we're promised that God will care for the weary, and God will care for the weary. So let's start here with this invitation to remember God's greatness. We have to start, though, by remembering and mentioning that Isaiah doesn't tell us the details of what the people experienced, the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile to Babylon. Yet these terrible events are the context for this message. He doesn't tell us the details, but Isaiah does tell us how the people were feeling and what they were saying, whether outwardly or inwardly. My way is hidden from God. God has disregarded me forgotten or lost track of me. As we think about that experience or those words, maybe we can think of a dark room, a basement, an attic, a closet with no light. In such spaces, we turn on a flashlight and the beam of light goes forth, cutting through the darkness. Yet outside of that beam, there remains areas of darkness, right? Air is hidden from our vision. And it's that type of image that the people have in mind when they're crying out. That we're outside of the beam of God's flashlight, if you will. Certainly his light is shining forth, but we're over here still in the dark corner. Hidden. Outside of his interest, or his vision, or his concern. And it's into that image, into that condition when we're struggling with faith or facing uncertainty and weariness, when our candles have been extinguished and it seems like the beam of God's flashlight is shining everywhere but upon us, it's in that situation that God asks a series of questions. Who has scooped up the ocean into his two hands or measured the sky between his thumb and finger? 
Who has put all the earth's dirt into one of his baskets or weighed each mountain, each hill? Who could ever tell God what to do or give him advice? Who could teach God the path of justice? Or what other God do you suppose shows God how things work? You see, these questions move the passage from a simple transfer of information. God is great. And it moves it to an invitation for us to participate. For us to hear and even respond. Maybe you can picture the questions. Instead of just moving through a progress, they are like wrapping around us. A circle that seeks to draw us in. And with repetition, inviting us to remember and to affirm the unique nature and character of our God. It is God who holds the waters. It is God who measures the sky. It is God who can carry the mountains in a bucket. It is God who has full understanding. It's God who knows what justice truly is, and no one can teach God. Let's consider for a moment the significance of being offered questions in this moment. Some questions are in the scriptures. There's lots of questions throughout the scriptures. There's sometimes that questions are asked to help us look inward. Such as when Jesus asks a man who had been unable to walk for almost 40 years, Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? This is not some kind of lack of kindness. It's actually rather a way to validate the man's experience and to let him voice what he longs for or what he wants Jesus to do for him. It's an invitation to look inward and to see and acknowledge the experience one has. But there are other types of questions, like the ones that we find in this sequence that open our passage. Who measures the waters, the sky, or the mountains? Who can tell God what to do? And these type of questions do something very different. Instead of turning us inward to look at ourselves, they invite us to look outward. They point to awe and to humility in reminding us that there's more than ourselves or more than our perspective. But we want to be careful. This is not to say that our experience or perspective does not matter. Rather, the purpose is to cast us and cast our experience, cast our perspective in the context of God. To not only see our condition and circumstances, but to see them in light of a unique and singular transcendent God who has no rival or comparison. And to remember that this is our God. That in Christ, this God is not only our creator, but our redeemer. It's interesting, most scholars would say that outside of Genesis 1 and 2, in which we see God create everything, bring, you know, out of nothing brings all that there is, visible and invisible. Outside of Genesis 1 and 2, most point to this section of Isaiah, of chapters 40 through 55, as the primary place that God is lifted up as the creator God above all things, that God is spoken of in this transcendent way. And so we can ask why. Why in this moment where people were feeling the exile and feeling lost about who they were and the possibility of a future, why is it in this moment that Isaiah repeats over and over again, here is who your king is, beyond compare, a chance for you and I as we hear those questions or for for those of Isaiah's day to affirm the sovereign power who created the universe and that that same power is the one who formed and redeemed his people. 
The creator God above all is the one who calls us as his people, saying that you are my people and I am your God. This is the one who holds our days. And there is none who can speak and compare to him. Therefore, in a pandemic or in exile or wherever you are this moment, we're reminded that our destiny is not outside of God's concern. That where we are sitting is not beyond his power or interest or vision. God does not just see along a beam of a flashlight. But here what we're invited to affirm through these questions is that there is no place hidden from God and that God's realm is everywhere and therefore we are not forgotten. Our passage opens with this reminder of the greatness of God, a vast vision of who God is, and it also then leads right into a call for us to say no to other hopes or to false gods. You might have noticed our passage identifies three such possibilities, the nations, idols, or rulers, that these things might be where we direct our attention, hoping that these powers might be able to help us. But Isaiah wants us to remember that they do not compare to God. And it makes sense when someone is struggling, you and I are struggling, or we feel like the candle is extinguished, that maybe more than normal we feel a deep temptation, a deep pull to seek whatever help we might find, any possible hint of a light. And so it's in this moment that Isaiah not only lifts up God, but says, do not go down the path of seeking out false comforts or false hopes or false gods. We can think about the exile being forced from our home or our land or our life, or think about our current situation, our sense of reality, of who we are and how life works, how it's broken down. This, any sense of control or understanding, if I do this, then these things will happen. Or here are my next steps and my plan. I assume that you're like me, that those things have been deeply interrupted. It's hard to know how the equation of life works right now. It's in that disruption, if you are also like me, that our response can be to insist or to try to cling to some sense of control. To insist again on reacquiring some level of satisfaction or resecuring our plans. And our passage highlights three places that we are tempted to go seeking again a sense of control. We seek to belong, we seek to possess, and we seek to influence. That's my translation of nation idol, and rulers. We seek to belong. Isaiah's reference to the nation is the kind of the question of who are my people? Who are my tribe? Or what people am I tempted to want to identify with or to, to be belonging to? You know, we can think about surely Israel, they have just been defeated by Babylon and Babylon has brought them into exile. And surely the question would be, why do I keep going along with being Israel when it's clear that Babylon is winning, Right? They seem to be doing great. So wouldn't it make sense to find ways to belong to them? And there are current voices in our setting as well that tell us that security for you and me comes when we deeply identify with our nation or our group or our tribe. 
And that prosperity comes not when we break down walls, but we hear voices, right, telling us that prosperity will come when we draw strong lines and walls, protecting our interests, especially maybe at the cost of the interest of others. And Isaiah is wanting to say to the people in Babylon's day and to our day, such a path is foolishness. For compared to the one who marked off the heavens, the nations are like a drop of water falling from a bucket, like a speck of dust on the pan of the scale. The scales barely move, it's just a speck of dust. We We seek to belong, but we also seek to possess, to have. Maybe things will be okay if we have enough. Isaiah here speaks of idols, and he opens the question basically saying, you know, what can you compare to God? And he offers our sarcastic vision. Excuse me, he says, do you think about these items of devotion, right? A human makes them, puts gold on them, puts a chain on them so they aren't stolen, uses fancy wood so they won't rot, or make sure that they won't fall down. Isn't it embarrassing if your God would happen to be stolen or fall or rot? See, Isaiah is trying sarcastically to say, why would we look at the things that we have made or another human has made and say to it, save me? My hope is in you. And certainly we don't have gold statues on our walls, but we have bank accounts and money and homes and things that we are tempted to say either outwardly or in the way of our hearts, save me. Save me. And again, Isaiah reminds the people and us that this path is foolishness, for such things are not alive and cannot understand or save you. We seek to belong, we seek to possess, and we seek to influence. There are some human rulers who claim great strength or suggest that they are different than others, that they can influence or direct how things go, their events of their life, they can make life work the way they desire. We know such people were tempted maybe to have such an attitude. But Isaiah reminds us that the path of life is not like influencing in our strength. For all people, whether the prince or ruler or anyone, are like grasshoppers, just creatures. And God can raise them up or put them down. See, our passage calls us when we are tempted to trust the nations or the idols or the rulers to turn away from such attempts at control. We're to see such things in light of the God who is above all things. A drop in the bucket. Something with no life or understanding. Just grasshoppers. Therefore, Isaiah returns and concludes the passage by affirming the promise that God cares for the weary. After the opening series of questions, he comes back to those who need their candles relit, who know what it is to have their hearts extinguished, who can say, my way is hidden from God. In response, Isaiah affirms this promise that God cares for the weary, that God does not grow faint, and actually God gives his strength to those who do. Corrie ten Boom is a woman that wrote a book called The Hiding Place, In that book, she tells the story of her family caring for her Jewish neighbors and hiding them during German Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. 
A few years back when my family and I were overseas, we had a chance to go to the Tin Boom house in Harlem and see on the first floor was the, the family business and upstairs is where they lived and they had built false walls so they could hide their Jewish neighbors in that place. But eventually they were betrayed and they were sent to a concentration camp where some of the family members died. But Cory Ten Boom survived and wrote this book, The Hiding Place. And in part of it, she repeats over and over again that no pit is so deep that God is not deeper still. This is words that she remembered God by. No pit is so deep that God is not deeper still. There's no place, no pit in which God is not present. No place hidden from our God. The God who holds the ocean and the sky is the same God in the person of Christ who enters into the weak and weary places to give strength to the faint, exhausted, and weary. Maybe you notice in these last verses of our passage how it was repeated over and over again, this word for weariness, the word for being faint and exhausted. Over and over again, it's repeated. And we're reminded that God is different. God doesn't come and go. He lasts. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't have to catch his breath. And yet he also is there to energize the tired and give fresh strength to lift up those who have stumbled and fallen. One author writes that life is a journey towards a land we have not yet seen along a path we sometimes cannot find. Life is a journey toward a land we have not yet seen along a path we sometimes cannot find. In this challenge, we're heard in our passage that our role is to wait for the Lord. To wait. It's those who wait on the Lord who will be lifted up and strengthened. And to wait means that we affirm that we are not in control, not able to restore reality as we desire, that it's a characteristic of us in our creation to wear out and grow tired and become exhausted. But to wait also means that we affirm it's not so with our God. That God has strength and energy to give to those who lack it, to those who feel and admit their weakness, and those who are those who wait for God, turning to God, asking for his strength to lift them. Our passage invites us to pray such prayers, that we have courage to turn away from our own attempts at control, to acknowledge our weariness and exhaustion, and turn to our God, asking for his strength to meet us in that deep pit to light again the candle that's been snuffed out. It takes courage to wait and to offer that prayer to our God. But God invites us to do so, for he is the one above all things. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, for who you are. And Lord, we thank you for this passage that invites us to give voice to our weariness or our exhaustion. We pray, Lord, that you would protect us from turning our hopes to things that will not satisfy and help us, Lord, to wait and trust you, the one who can lift us up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
in preparation of receiving communion, I invite you that you stand with me and invite you to join in our response to the coming to the table. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Participating in communion, uh, and go ahead and invite you to uh, open up the pre-packaged, pa- the pre-packaged communion elements. Uh, you might notice the different. You can op- you unseal the bottom first and receive the bread, then you can take off the top for the juice. If anyone needs one, does anyone needs raise their hand if, if you didn't get one? Okay. If you're not taking communion here, or if you're online and not taking communion, this I invite you to, re- to see this bread and cup as a reminder of who God is and His kingdom and grace for you. Well, in the temptation to this table, this table that belongs to Christ, it is a clear picture and reminder that the God of strength, who does not grow weary, offers care to those who are exhausted and who fall. When Corrie ten Boom writes that no matter how deep the pit that God goes deeper, what she was thinking about is the grace of Christ to meet us in wherever we are. There is no place too hidden or too deep or too broken or too exhausted that it's outside of God's grace or beyond him sharing his strength with those who need it. And we see that clearly here in this table. This bread broken and this cup tell us of Christ's body broken and his blood shed that sinners like you and me will be brought into the family of God. That exhausted men and women like you and me would find strength rooted in God. So this table is an invitation to come confessing our need, confessing our exhaustion, and asking for God's grace to meet us. If that's who you are, if you know of your need and put your faith in Christ, then eat and drink and be nourished by Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table, and we pray a prayer of thanks that you meet us where we are, and that your gospel is this profound and beautiful thing that meets us in the deepest places or in the places of deepest weariness as candles that have been extinguished, longing for a new flame. And so wherever we are this day, Lord, by your grace, meet us and grant us forgiveness, grant us renewal and strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith.
Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're the creator of all things above all, not one who needs anyone's counsel, but yet you have stooped down low to lift up the fallen and to bind up the brokenhearted, to grant grace for those who are ashamed and guilty. We give you thanks and ask for your strength that we may walk in the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's stand together and I invite you to respond to the table, see the response on our order of worship. Let's turn together. We remember his death, we proclaim his resurrection, we await his coming in glory. Receive now God's blessing. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. You may go in peace.